Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Jimmy Mullen Podcast. After a week, I'm back. Uh, for those of you who did not see the posts on social media regarding this, I decided to take a week off uh, from uploading. Uh, I decided that in the beginning of the year I wanted to put out a new episode every week, at least to the best of my ability. Uh, however, I did contract the virus that has plagued this world the last couple years that shut everything down. Uh, for the time being that it did and all that stuff. I, I went so long without it. I had been exposed multiple times. My brother uh, just had it for the second time. And uh, my mom and I just had it for the first time. So, um, yeah, I guess I'm not invincible. I, I, I mean, I'm not saying I I am. I never claimed to be. I'm just Josh. And, but regardless of that, uh, you know, my voice may be a little off. You know, I'm still a little congested, so... Uh, you'll have to excuse that for this episode. Uh, I'm sure by the time next week's episode is out, I'll be a lot better. Uh, which, by the way, uh, next episode will be my discussion on Season 2 of Breaking Bad. If you have not seen my discussion on the first season yet, you should totally go check it out. Uh, so that way you can prepare yourself for the uh, second season discussion next week. Despite taking a week off from making podcasts, I did upload a video over on the main channel. Uh, youtube.com slash at Jimmy Mullen. Uh, I did a reaction to the latest Nintendo Direct. Uh, so if you haven't checked that out, feel free to do so. Uh, it'll be in the description as well as at the end card if you're watching the YouTube version of the podcast. Uh, but with that being said, this is going to be my review and spoiler discussion for the newest MCU project, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Uh, I will be giving a spoiler-free thoughts on in the beginning here. Uh, and then the rest of this pod will discuss uh, the spoilers and all the sort of events that happen in the film and whatnot, uh, giving my thoughts on everything and uh, all that kind of stuff. So I guess a bit of a spoiler-free plot for the film. Uh, if you guys have you know been caught up with the MCU, you guys know uh, this is Ant-Man's first on-screen appearance since uh, the events of Avengers Endgame. Uh, so Scott Lang has now become a celebrity after writing a book about his part in saving the universe in Avengers Endgame. Uh, his daughter Cassie has been aged up because of the five-year time jump. Uh, not only, uh, you know, within that five years, but also within like a couple of years, uh, her appearance has entirely changed because they recasted her. Uh, but we'll get to that. Um, she's been aged up and now has become an activist looking at her father's criminal history uh, as a reason for her to fight for change like her father used to before he became a superhero. He's also starting to feel pretty disconnected with her since, you know, he did miss five years of his life. Uh, and he then learns that Cassie has started doing her own research on the quantum realm. She wanted some possible way of finding her father. But that beacon then turns into some kind of portal that sucks Scott, Cassie, Hope, Hank, and Janet into the quantum realm and then they have to go on this adventure to get back while dealing with the villain of the film, Kang the Conqueror. As for my spoiler-free opinion on the film, I believe it serves as a great introduction to the MCU's Phase 5. It's a fun film filled with high stakes and a lot of world-building. I think it's absolutely worth a theater visit. My biggest issue with the film is that it feels like more of a setup for Kang in the MCU rather than a concluding chapter for an Ant-Man trilogy. 
Catherine Newton's delivery as Cassie feels very artificial at times. Michael Douglas looks like he doesn't want to be there. Uh, however, Kang the Conqueror is absolutely the best part of this film, and his acting alone steals the show in its entirety. I'm very excited for the future of this character. He seems like a real threat that will be posed to our heroes uh, in the following films and shows that will get you know, Avengers Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars, whatever the fuck's going to go on with that. We have no idea as of right now. But regardless of that, I would say that I enjoyed the film. I think it's a fun time going to the theaters to go see it. I think it's worth the money. However, it's definitely not my favorite film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe by any means. I think it's a great start to the new phase, but it falls short in a lot of ways. And I'm going to get into a lot of that when we talk about the plot of the movie and all the big things that happen. So to start out, the movie wasted pretty much no time bringing everyone into the quantum realm. We hardly spend any time on Earth. We get this little montage introduction uh, we see Cassie goes to jail. She gets bailed out, and uh, she shrunk a cop car, which I thought was pretty funny. They all sit down for dinner, and then boom, right away, they're being brought into the quantum realm. It's like they wasted no time with it. I've always appreciated the Ant-Man films in comparison to the others as they feel a lot more grounded. Yeah, they deal with a lot of sci-fi stuff with time travel and people phasing through reality and things like that, but it definitely feels a lot more tame compared to fighting giant purple people in space and uh, a giant alien army invading New York City. This film takes all of that and is like, nope, now we're in another universe. Everything's tiny and uh, everything you think you know about reality means nothing in this universe. So right off the bat, it's very, very different from the first two films. And while that's not necessarily a bad thing, like I said, it doesn't feel like an Ant-Man movie, and we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, so Scott's finding it hard to be on the same page with his daughter since, you know, he missed five years of, of her life and all he's done since he's come back and saved the universe. He's written a book. Uh, I think he started a podcast. They mentioned that in Miss Marvel. I don't think it's even brought up in the movie, but regardless, uh, that's really all he's been doing since, since uh, you know, the events of Endgame. He, he hasn't really, you know, done much of, you know, superhero stuff or anything in regards to protesting like his daughter has started doing. He, he's just sitting back casually. When everyone's brought into the quantum realm, of course, they're separated. Uh, we've got Scott and Cassie on one side. And then we've got Hope, Janet, and Hank on the other. Scott and Cassie are transported into where most of the civilians of the quantum realm are in hiding. The Rebellion speaks of Kang's destruction to their world, and they explain to Scott that he's probably already looking for them, and that they know who Janet is due to, quote-unquote, what she did. Honestly, none of these Rebel characters are really that memorable. They're hardly in the movie. I mean, there's a guy that reads minds, and then there's a, there's a blob character who has a running joke about holes and I don't know, it just wasn't that funny to me. Meanwhile, Hope and her parents make their way to a fancy bar when they meet Kylar, Kylar, Krylar. I, I honestly forgot. I think it's, it's, I think it's Krylar. Uh, he's played by Bill Murray. None other than that guy who's in a lot of things. I, I figured at some point we would have like every celebrity under the sun joining the MCU unless they specifically don't want to do that. And uh, Bill Murray is one of those many people where I figured, if anything, he'd probably have a small role in some movie. And sure enough, here he is. He's hardly in the movie. He's not very important to the plot at all. He's just described as a guy that Janet slept with and has a connection to in the quantum realm. That's it. Oh, yeah. And uh, Modoc is in this movie. 
as like a secondary villain. Turns out he's actually Darren Cross, aka the Yellow Jacket guy from the first Ant Man movie. Um, now he's deformed and turned into whatever they decided to do with the CGI here. Honestly, guys, I I uh, I legitimately went ugh when he first popped up on screen. Most people around me did as well. Um, none of us were really pleased with the look of CGI Modoc with the realistic looking human face. It's a little unsettling. But then at the same time, I'm like, could they have done much better? Like, there's not much you can really do with a a live action Modoc without making it look absolutely terrifying. Maybe it's the bald head that's like throwing me off because Modoc usually has hair. Um, I feel like changing the person who becomes Modoc was just for the sake of, you know, linking the first movie back to Ant-Man 3 as a very loose connection, granted, because this movie feels very separated from the first two. It honestly could have been so much worse. I think the trailers made him look even more abominable, but uh, I think they fixed it up by the time the, you know, the, the actual movie came out. Janet reveals to Hope and Hank that during her 30 years in the quantum realm, she actually found Kang, and he claimed that he got stuck and crash-landed. His ship was nothing like she'd ever seen, and it was technology from the 31st century, realizing that he's able to control it with his thoughts. Uh, they eventually are able to fix the multiversal core that was broken and caused him to be put in exile, uh, Janet not knowing this. However, Janet does find out about his true intentions. She touches it and sees all the destruction that he's caused across the multiverse. And she's like, no, I don't want to help you anymore. She then uses the Pym particles to sabotage it and prevent him from escaping the quantum realm. And it turned out that he was exiled. And let me just say, um, Kang is absolutely the best part of this movie, without a doubt. His acting alone, Jonathan Majors, is a fantastic actor. His range is freaking phenomenal, and we even see this uh, you know, at the end of the film, but I'll, I'll get to that. We learn that he's already killed plenty of Avengers, uh, and he makes a deal with Scott to retrieve the multiversal core, Scott only agreeing because Kang threatened his daughter. We're then given a formulaic rebellion, takes down the powerful bad guy, final battle. Scott then stays behind to finish off Kang with Hope coming back to finish the job. Uh, at first, it seems like they'll be stuck in the quantum realm, but thankfully, they're able to safely return. And yeah, that's really all that happens in the movie. It's like, I feel like they kind of expand it all, and it feels shorter than it really is. Um, I don't know. I feel like there could have been a lot more that should have happened in this movie, but like I said, it feels like more set up for Kang. The film then abruptly ends the same way it started, with a montage of Scott Lang walking through the streets of San Francisco now having to pay for his coffee since he was recognized by the, the coffee guy thinking he was Spider-Man. Now he's like, oh, you're the bug man. Now you got to pay $12 for coffee, which that's expensive. $12. Jeez. He's then left with a lingering question as to, uh, hey, now that this has happened, like, are we doomed? Like, did I set him free? What's going to happen now? What are we going to do? And then he's like, ah, nah, it's probably nothing. Uh, and then, of course, we get into uh, the mid-credits scene and post-credits scene of the film. For the mid-credits scene, all of Kang's variants have started to appear in an arena, with a few of them discussing that Kang, the exiled one, is dead, with his variants now being free to bring destruction upon the multiverse. They even discuss how the Avengers have started to tap into the multiverse. 
referring to events from No Way Home and Loki and Multiverse of Madness, more than likely specifically referencing the fact that Loki and Sylvie unleashed the multiverse by killing he who remains and breaking off the sacred timeline into multiple incursions. You can just see the range of Jonathan Majors, all the different types of voices he's doing for these characters, their body language, everything about them is different for each one. You can see them all just popping up, each of them wearing different costumes and all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, I've seen some things online, people saying, oh, this is a reference to that and this, but quite frankly, I'm not a comic book reader, so I didn't really catch a lot of it. I just thought it was pretty crazy. As for the post credit scene, uh, it turns out it's, I guess, a sneak peek to Loki Season 2, uh, as a variant of Kang is seen performing on stage discussing the idea of manipulating time. We then cut to Loki and Mobius in the crowd wearing early 1900s attire to blend in, Mobius being a little hesitant about the guy because he doesn't seem like a terrifying figure, but Loki reassuring him that he is. This, like I said, seems to be a sneak peek to Loki Season 2, which I guess will now directly tie in with Ant-Man Quantumania. Um, thankfully, my brother has now seen the first season of Loki, so when he finally goes to see Ant-Man, he won't be as confused. And yeah, I guess the plot for Loki Season 2 is that they're going to be hunting down different variants of Kang, and honestly, I'm pretty excited to see where it goes. All right, uh, let's talk about some of the uh, acting in this movie, uh, just, uh, you know, Kang aside, he was the best part of this film. I can't really say the same for everyone else. Uh, Paul Rudd was great as Scott Lang, as always. I think for what he was given, he did a fantastic job. Uh, Hope Van Dyne, played by Evangeline Lilly, the Wasp, she doesn't really get to do much in this movie, unfortunately. She's kind of sidelined throughout most of it. She's on the same page as, like, Hank and Janet in regards to how much she really does. Uh, other than the fact that she comes back at the end and, you know, puts her name on the title. because It's called Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. There's your Wasp part, I guess. Um, Michael Douglas seems like he's very tired of this role. Um, I could just tell throughout watching the whole movie that he seemed like he just did not want to be there in the slightest, uh, especially since most of this movie is a green screen fest. Um, people are even calling it a Star Wars prequel ripoff or something like that um i mean yeah i do get those vibes that it's like oh nothing but blue screen green screen stuff but you can still make a good movie with that like there's like it's it is possible it's just that most of the time that do just doesn't happen but yeah michael douglas just doesn't seem like he wants to be there he's even said in interviews at the premiere of quantumania that he will only come back for ant-man 4 if his character dies so that should just tell you how he feels about playing this character still. Uh, I, I guess he's feel. I guess he feels more tired of it uh, than you know the the first two films. He he seemed like he at least wanted to be there uh, with those two, you know, playing that type of character. But he he just he just does not seem happy, like at all. And I I'm I'm kind of feeling for the man. Um, Catherine Newton as Cassie Lang. Listen, I loved her in Detective Pikachu. I loved her in Freaky. Uh, she was great in those movies. Those are the only other two I've seen her in. Um, her delivery was just not there in parts. Um, I'm sorry. Like, I I love her as an actress. I just don't think this was it for her. I also don't feel it was necessary for them to even recast Cassie Lang. I feel like Emma Furman, who played her in Endgame, despite her having a very small role, I feel like she did a just fine job as much as she was really given. And... 
the fact that she didn't even know she was being recasted until the news broke and everyone found out, I thought was a little ridiculous. I, I feel bad for her. I think she would have done a great job. I, I don't see why they wanted to recast her. I, I, I think that I, not, nothing against Catherine Newton. I think she's a great actress. I, I would have loved to see her in the MCU in any other role. I just don't know if Cassie Lang's the one for her. But at this point, it's too late. They've already done it. I, I mean, I, I don't know, man. I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm a bit torn because, like, you know, I, I really wanted to enjoy her in this movie. I was really excited. I was like, wow, Catherine Newton's going to be in the MCU. Another actress uh, that's in a lot of newer stuff that I'm very familiar with. I'd love to see what she does. And I don't know. She just she just didn't deliver. Also, uh, Michael Pena is not in the movie as Luis. And I feel like that's the biggest crime that this movie has faced, uh, considering that his parts in the first two films were phenomenal and some of the best parts of them. And they're missing from this movie. And it shows. <sighs> also, um, despite them having small roles in the first two films, I think even just having Scott's ex-wife and her husband in the film, I think would have just, you know, and even seeing them interact with Cassie, I feel like would have just made sense and made the film feel more whole. But they're just not in the movie at all. Like, at all. Never mentioned other than the fact that Scott is divorced that that's it that's that's all it is like i said the film feels like more set up for kang's future in the mcu rather than a sequel to ant-man i'm i'm a bit torn i gave it a seven um only because you know i feel like it could have been a lot better i i still like a lot of aspects of the film but there's a lot of it that just falls flat and um i i came out a little disappointed uh, but I still thought it was a fun watch. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't expecting it to be completely groundbreaking. I didn't go in with like super high expectations because the Ant-Man movies have never been high stakes. So I wasn't like, you know, oh my God, like, yeah, it's setting up the big bad for this entire saga of the MCU. But, uh, you know, I think for what they were doing with Kang, I think they did a great job. And uh, I can't wait to see more of him in the future. I'm excited for Loki season two. I'm excited for Kang Dynasty. Uh, and yeah, that's uh, that's my thoughts on Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Um, I, yeah. But anyway, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the pod. If you guys did enjoy this episode, feel free to hit that like button and let me know in the comments below what you thought of the film, whether it's on YouTube or on the Q&A section on Spotify. Let me know what you thought of the film and uh, what you'd rate it out of 10. I've also started streaming on TikTok since I hit 1,000 followers and I've been uh, doing things other than podcast-related stuff because uh, my other page doesn't have 1,000 followers yet. But if you'd like to come watch me build some Lego sets, uh, I built these on stream within the last couple days. Uh, I got this uh, little mini Han Solo Millennium Falcon set uh, and then this uh, Anakin ship. Uh, I think it's from episode three. I think it's the ship he flies in that one. Um, so I, I got these and then I also have this Mandalorian set. Um, it's a small one. So trouble on Tatooine. So I'll be building this tonight on TikTok, uh, on TikTok live. So, uh, right when this episode goes out, uh, if you're watching it right when it goes out, I'm probably still live on TikTok building this. Uh, so yeah, hope you guys, uh, you know, come out and check it out. Uh, and yeah, hope you guys enjoyed. Yeah, with that said, thank you all so much for watching. Be sure to check out all the other episodes on YouTube and all the audio platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. 
Uh, be sure to also check me out on uh, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. All the links to my social media are in uh, the link tree, link in the description. Uh, with that said, thank you all so much for tuning in. Uh, and I'll catch you on the next one. Take it easy. Peace.